how wonderful it is. There's a good spirit. You ought to be downstairs. It's just jammed with little kids. How exciting that is, too. And uh, also, many things have been going on. I, I'm, I'm just so proud of the things that have been happening. I'd like uh, our, our sermon title this morning, you know, has to do with one by one, speaking of victories, just one by one. Uh, the Spanish said, mano a mano. And, you know, you've seen me do that, you know, hand to hand, how cool I am. That's personal, isn't it? Someone says, I'd like to talk you mano a mano. You better have your brass knuckles, had you? <laughs> because it's close and it's purpose. And that's what victory is. It's close. It's purposeful. It's, it's a fight. If there's a victory, it means a fight was won. And, uh, boy, we in the school know how that works. And we've lived by faith for so many years. It's God's longest continuing miracle is the school. And I'm just thankful for some of the things that are happening over there, too. How precious are those victories in God's name. And Paul just does an unusual thing. He was born to do unusual things, wasn't he? Well, a great man of God. I'm reading in Acts 16, starting with verse 29. Now, the story was that in the church at Philippi, when they were trying to start a church at Philippi, why they threw him in the Huskow. And how did they respond? Well... They uh, preach and teach and sing songs until midnight. Now, if I was in jail, I've been in jail. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be singing songs in jail. I'd keep my mouth shut if I were in jail. <laughs> These guys didn't. And God sends an earthquake. <laughs> I'd reckon from what I read that it would be between 7.2 and, and 7.8 on the Richter scale. Why? Because it opens the jail door and they're free to go. But they don't go. Instead, they stay and they convert the jailer. What an awesome man. See, one victory, one step at a time. He works a great hand-to-hand -hand battle, if you will, one step at a time to mix those two analogs. Now, look what he says. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oh, you can, spend, you can spend years before someone comes to you and says, what, what do you think I should do to be saved? And that's frightening. That's sad, isn't it? I have been thrilled a number of times to have someone literally, well, that's like throwing pork chops to a dog, isn't it? Man, their eyes light up. Something happens. What must I do to be saved? That's what Christians are here for. The Lord came to seek and save that which was lost, and someone comes to you just like to him. What must I do to be saved? I could weep for the number of times. They are so few that someone's actually said that to me. Well, aren't you a preacher? Yeah. Well, don't you have a testimony at work? Yeah. But maybe it's not good enough. Maybe I'm not a good enough preacher. Maybe my testimony isn't good enough. See, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your house. Now, that's pretty affirmative. You will be saved. Now, I think the world needs saving. And I've heard people say, saving, that's a little old-fashioned, isn't it? No. Hey, it's the only stable thing in a veil of tears is that there's peace, there's hope, there's heaven. I wouldn't want to raise my kids without the prospect of heaven for them after this veil of tears. I wouldn't even want to raise them without that prospect. And you and I have that prospect. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. See what a simple thing it was? They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. Hey, you all, let me make a plea for Wednesday night. I'd love to do that all over, all over here. We had about 60 people 
the precious Miller family, three of them were baptized, three adults. And we had a marvelous message by one of God's men, one of our boys that's come home, Dave Robinson. And I suppose he's the greatest of our ministries. When I just look at all of our wonderful sons and daughters who have gone out, and I can't be judged of that, but I've always looked up to him as if he were a thousand feet tall. What a giant spiritually he is. And I could have just cried as I heard him pour his heart out about the ministry down there in Papua New Guinea. Now, he mispronounces it, of course. It's Papua New Guinea. But other than that, it's all right. Ah, y'all, these are giants that walk among us. And I wish we could live that Wednesday night again because, you know, these folks were baptized that same hour of the night. And thus, they were born again and start a new life, see? The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Well, you see, uh, they use an occasion of being in the Husgau, of being in jail, for what? To take one more step in the victory, to convert one more person. Most of us would have run out because I don't think I'd want to have been in a Philippian jail. You know they don't have running water? Well, at flood time they do. But you know, it's not a nice place to be, and I would have gotten out of there. But one step at a time, they made that great victory. And I would say that spiritual victories come the same way. I wish there were snap-your-fingers kind of origin, but there is not. I want to personally comment. Now, some people say you're not supposed to do this, but I think we're different, and I'm happy that we are different, and you would allow me to do such a thing. We've had some great successes lately as you watch different people witness. And I, I just want to compliment Todd Erickson with the work that he has been doing uh, there at the hospital and studies and conversions that have been made there. And I, I just praise God for that one victory, one step, one consistent life in the middle of people who don't care two hoots about spiritual things. And I wanted to thank Jim Holster. And I tell you, I have just seen this wonderful person just grow as a giant and, and, and to, you know, he's not very big but he's a giant spiritually and he, he studied he, he's, he's having things happen and decisions are being made and that's part of the excitement that's here this morning and I hope that you feel that I really do and Jamie or maybe some of you have got a little funny piece of bread the bread of life and you know our ladies do so much too but when someone comes around and drops off a piece of that sweet bread and speaks of the bread of life just be reminded that someone cared to give you a piece of fresh bakery and in the name of God's church, Paradise Valley Christian Church. And I, I, I just thank God for that ministry. Uh, her winning people, uh, she has been such a faithful witness, Nancy, to so many people. And I praise God because I know that takes courage. See, I know that that takes courage. And, you know, uh, I thank Louise DeVault. And uh, she wasn't here last time. I don't know whether she's here this time, but you know, Last Saturday, we had 40 people who came to study under a national authority on how to teach kids. And she had the courage with the Sunday School Department and her committee to say, let's try two Sunday schools because we can get more kids because the church holds it in a neighborhood this huge with so few churches to serve it. Only 100, 120 kids is not good enough and that we need to be doing more. And I believe it's working. If you could just look downstairs, there's little bodies everywhere. There's a hubbub and there's excitement. Big guys, little guys. 
And that's what the church is all about. Please get involved in that. It, it is so important that you do. And I'm thankful for the work that she has done to make such things. It is easy to just go, oh, I wish we were bigger. But I believe there's more to it than that. With all of my heart, I really, really do. You know, Romans 6.13 says this, Give yourselves completely to God, every part of you. Now, that's a funny thing. Give yourselves to God, every part of you. That must mean that uh, Christians sometimes exercise a cosmetic uh, uh, view of things. Uh, they give God on the shiny part on the outside. Like, have you ever had a little red-headed boy that comes in after playing Indian all day, and he sits down before a uh, supper table? Do you think his face is always circumspect? Do you think his little hannies are... Uh, maybe quite as pure as they might be. <laughs> and maybe he has to go and wash them. It's like that little boy. You can wash his face and rub his hand, but you know there's dirtier parts elsewhere, but you're going to leave well enough alone. Just let that be for lunchtime, see? Our Christians a little bit like that. They kind of have a layer. You give God the upper part, the part that shows, or maybe that your friends see. I tend to be that way. Maybe little, perhaps you have tried that from time to time, too. Every part give completely to God, he says, for you are back from death. Uh, King Jamie says uh, something like, uh, you're redeemed, you're born again, you're bought, blood bought. There's a number of ways to say that, isn't it? But I like that, don't you? You're back from death. Hey, man, you're a specter. You were dead, and now you're alive. You're cool. You have been born again. You walk with a new kind of walk, and you talk with a better talk, and wow, you're God's superman. You're God's precious man precious woman, whatever it is that God gave you to be, and you want to be tools in the hand of God. We were going to do this. I just, uh, you know, Pat was going to hold a block of wood over his head, and I was going to take a big old axe, and I was going to split that block of wood, because you know I have iron, con iron control with sharp instruments. You know that. And then Pat said, well, he had a headache already today, and maybe we wouldn't do that. But it would make a great illustration of a tool. If you were going to cut somebody's head off, you'd want the blade to be awfully sharp, wouldn't you? Dull blade, uh-uh, uh, that's a blunt way. That's, that's not the best way to do it, see. You want to be tools in the hand of God. So get prepared. Sharpen your tools, in other words. In other words, there is a motivation. There is something within me that wants to be better. And I know that's the same thing with you. You want to do better. I've stayed awake many a night thinking, you know, with your education, with the background you've had, and a godly family, a total support of the church, you ought to be doing more. You ought to be more successful. And you know, that bugs me. You say, well, you're eternally secure. What do you care? Well, I never felt that way that I really wanted to be more effective for Jesus Christ. You see, that's the point. I translate this business of church into winning little ones, winning the elder, winning the young couples of God. I, you know, this is important to me. Winning the scientists, that's a tough field, and that's, that's where I am. And I'm not that satisfied with my own conversions from, uh, you know, I'm not a Jim or I'm not a Todd. And that bugs me because I want to be God's super saint just like everybody else. I don't want to be mediocre in the household of the faith. I, I really do not. Well, I tell you what, if you're going to be spiritual, it is because 
you are committed to be. And it's not going to happen. You're not going to become a giant in the faith unless you desire. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And you want to be great. You will be great. You must have that intention to be more effective as a servant of God, to make, to make steps forward one at a time. No brilliant leaps, no snapping of fingers but just to grow steadily into the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 4, verse 8 says, For physical training is of some value. It's obvious I've had a lot of physical training, isn't it? You can tell a weightlifter, weigh swaggers. I've had a little physical training. You know, what's more important? Listen to this. He says it has, but godliness has a value for all things. Now that's funny, isn't it? Uh, I suppose half the people in Casper are trying to get rich, at least trying to make a great living, at least make a better than average living. That's true, isn't it? Politics sell the idea that, well, hey, we're the party with the influence or we're the party that's making you money, whatever. Be careful in your discernment there. I don't know what the answer is, but I'll tell you, everyone's looking to be a million-dollar outfit, aren't they? And a lot of people really suspect it. Why would you respect Bill Gates? He's a spiritual pygmy. But we can respect, you see, the money that he made. And that's kind of a funny, it's a kind of a two-way view of things, isn't it? Not really right. Godliness has a value for all things, not just in this veil of tears, but in the world to come, why do we have a school? Because we want to educate for eternity. Why do we want to have a Bible school filled with kids? Because the education is not just to entertain them, but to prepare them for eternal life. We educate for eternity. And that's what we're here for today, aren't we? Holding, forth, uh, holding the promise for both this present life and the life which is to come. Now, it takes time to be spiritually fit. And it's hard to be spiritually fit. It takes some time. You know, uh, it's a growth process. And if you look at all the literature, why there's books and books and VCRs and tapes that you can get on how to be a Christian, how to be more holy. One of the blessed men of the church years and years ago had a Sunday night sermon, Charlie Eichenberg, and he got a great big encyclopedia and he covered it with paper and on the top it says how I Charlie Eichenberg became more humble and he had 1,000 reasons see I forget exactly what the title was but see you can't have a book toting how humble you are if you're humble can you <laughs> if you're humble you just simply are humble you can't brag on how humble you are because you you just destroyed the thing didn't you, you stepped on the cat's tail while you're trying to get it to move forward won't work, see. Well, Ephesians 4.13 speaks of a maturity that doesn't come with the snapping of a finger, see. He says, speaking of maturity in uh, Ephesians 4.13, that measure of development which is meant by the fullness of Christ. What is it to be a mature person? To be filled to the fullness of Christ. You know, if you make a lead weight for fishers, and we've got some few fishers in here, you pour the lead in there and it fills the mold, you take the mold off, the cast is a perfect replica, isn't it? That's what he's speaking about. We're filled 
to Christ. If you'd take away the body, inside would be the Holy Spirit. Inside would be the Spirit of Christ. Inside would be that holy thing which is going to take you to heaven. I'm not taking this ugly thing with me to heaven. I'm not just alluding to the suit. I'm talking about the body. It's ugly. And it seems to be deteriorating. I'm not taking that to heaven. How about you? Uh, I've, now, when I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to see a lot of people with great noses, like I have, because I figure big noses are handsome, don't you? You with little noses, how inconsequential. What a total bland external physiognomy you have. But a handsome nose, a striking nose, a vibrant nose, if you will, is what I consider glory and beauty. But that's the outside, and I'm not taking that nose to heaven. Thank God I am not taking it to heaven with me. Well, there comes a time if we're to be filled with the Spirit of Christ that talk must cease and action must begin. James 2.18 says this, Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. Do you know that there are whole churches that exclude the text of James as being uh, untrustworthy because it interferes, interferes with some of their dogma that you need to work somehow or another. It's a nasty word. It is not. Work glorifies God. Work does not get you to heaven. But he says, I want you to see my faith by the works of my hand, mano a mano. I want you to see what I can build a cathedral. I can worship God in music. I can use my hands to make a living and give that goodness of my life to the Lord. And I need to show people what I can do and my faith will become manifest or therefore seen. And listen to Matthew 7, 16. By their fruit you shall know them. It is a terrible thing to wonder if you have a fruitful life. You know, I've talked to a lot of people in this Vale of Tears, uh, mostly outside the church, but you know, uh, you, you don't want a life that doesn't bear fruit. If you don't see the goodness that you have within you born in your children... If they're not bearing fruit, then you don't feel right as a mama or a papa, do you? And if your friends uh, are not being lifted up and encouraged by your behavior, then you feel like, I'm not lifting anybody up. I'm not, I have no ministry of reconciliation. I have no ministry of encouragement. I just do not. And what a fruitless life so many have led because it was for money, it was for fame, it was for glory, it was for power. But you and I exist for eternal things, more than just studying about them, but doing those things, you see. The talk ceases, but the action begins. Well, we need to sharpen our styles. Here's Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. Now, he says you can get the job done with a dull axe. You'll excuse me, please. You can get the job done with a dull axe. You can bludgeon something. Hey, we can build a church with a dull axe. We probably practice it a little time from time to time. Sharpen our tools, therefore. Get the cutting edge. 
find out what people are thinking and go that way with the gospel. Now, I didn't say go away from the gospel, but I said take the gospel to them for a change, see, and let them listen. How important. I really believe that's very, very important. Well, I think that the Acts has sometimes been too blunt. For he says, uh, more strength is needed, but skill, sharpen your tools, see, but skill will bring success. So what can I as a Christian do to win victories hand-to-hand, to win victories one at a time, consistent? By the way, the word habit is imbued with that, isn't it? Habit. Step by step, day by day, hand to hand, up close, personal. It's real. It's a fight I'm fighting, you see, that it might happen. Well, study the Word of God. It begins with that, doesn't it? Prayer time. My lands, we have a massive amount of prayer in this church. and Maybe that's why things are going so well. We had a great crowd today. I tell you, it's exciting. Things are happening. I thought the music was beautiful this morning. I, I just pray, I just pray that when you leave here, you've heard the word of God, you've been elevated, you've been lifted up, you've found here the comfort and love and encourage of others, and you go out and want to fight the good fight and do something worthwhile for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then put it to work, see, practice. Prayer and practice, boy, those two go together, don't they? Prayer and practice go together very well. Well, secondly, I really think that to win victories one at a time, one at a time, slowly but steadily, consistently, learn about love. For I think love makes all things possible. And uh, I tell you, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else today than here. Uh, I tell you, I, I would encourage you, continue to love one another. The word love one another, or love one another, is used 74 times in the New Testament. Did you know that? Love one another is used 74 times. Now, I feel that there's a subliminal message there. You all, you quit picking on each other, and you love one another, and you grow in the faith. It's kind of like Kitty. Poor Kitty. She's not here. She's downstairs. <laughs> well, Kitty, you know how grandmas are with little kids. And so they, she just wanted to do something with those two little kids. And so she says, I'm going to buy them a monkey. <laughs> I said, a monkey? My land, where are you going to put him? In the chicken house? Oh, it's too cold out there. She's going to stay in the house. Well, where is he going to sleep? Well, he can sleep in our bed. And I thought about that. And I said, well, what about the smell? She said, the monkey's going to be all right. She says, I've, I've lived around you and I've smelled you for 48 years. The monkey's going to be okay. Don't worry about that. See? Well, now that's hand-to-hand, isn't it? You know, if you've lived with someone for 48 years, buddy, there are not too many secrets left, and yet you're constantly being surprised. Now, you ask her about that monkey. Maybe you could like to discourage her, see? Because uh, the old-timers, uh, well, the top of the peak, are, are eating at our house, and you may have roast monkey see that the monkey has an accident see Hebrews 10 24 through 25 says this and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good now that's a chicken fighting term isn't it? to spur 
You ever seen a fighting rooster? Horrible. Bloody, ooh, insane, frantic. Ah, I'm glad we don't allow cock fighting in America. It's, it, it, it's horrifying. That's the same term he's using there. Don't spur one another the wrong way, but spur one another on to good things, see, to love and to good deeds. Why do we come to church? Because we encourage one another. I look at you and I feel better. There are beautiful faces here. There's gray hairs. There are seam faces. There's baby fat faces. There's gorgeous faces. There's handsome physiognomies that would stir Atlas himself. I tell you, we have everything under the sun. We should be able to witness to any category on the face of the earth, shouldn't we? We have so much, so much that we need to share with the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, we should spur one another onto good deeds, but verse 125 says, let us not give up meeting together. Uh, King Jamie says, uh, uh, this, forsaking the assembly of ourselves together is the custom of some is, see as some are in the habit of doing, NIV says. You're in the habit of leaving God's house empty. You're in the habit of that. And he says, now, you don't do that, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of his coming. Hey, we don't know when he's coming. Every time I read, I read Revelation, I toss and turn at night. Or I'm and I go to the phone and I say, hey, are you busy? I'd like to drop in on you. Uh, Revelation says, I don't have forever. Revelation tells me I'm not really frightened of anything, but I have so short a time, you all. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm in the 50s now, and I, uh, I don't have forever. And then some. Then quite a bit more. Matter of fact, most of you... If we would add your age to mine, would still be under 70. Well, I don't have forever. I'm not Maudie Muller on a summer's day, done rake the meadow, all oh, sweet with hay. I don't have the rest of the long life to give. And all oh, you young people, what's so exciting about you is I see tremendous potential for you young people for the dozens who have gone out across the face of the earth, who are God's saintly men and women all over the world, you shall multiply tenfold what has been done thus far. And we have done much, believe you me. And all the more as you see that day when he may come, I don't know. I would wish it would even be now. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. But until he comes, occupy until he comes. Pragmatiomahi, occupy, do something practical. There's a little baby with a runner nose, grab it. There's a lonely lady that needs to be visited. Go visit. The jail is filled with people. Go see them. I was in jail and you didn't go see me. There's an old folks down here that's just filled with people and less than 5% have any kids come to see them. There's about 345 people down there and less than 5% visit their parents on any given weekend. And so maybe the church ought to be a surrogate child, a surrogate, you know, a guest visitor, a guest son, a guest daughter who should have done what they should have done. And listen to this. You know, Christians need fellowship to grow. 
Matter of fact, I think it's mandatory. I believe if you're going to grow, you need the symbiosis, the mutual sharing together and the mutual profitability of being in close position to each other. It's a little bit like a radio reaction, isn't it? A radioactive bomb. You get the critical mass and you have an explosion. In the meantime, you just have a warm ball of fuzz. But if you get enough of that uranium together, you had a cataclysmic event. And that great cloud of fire and destructive toxic poison. Well, Christians could be that if they will get together beyond the critical mass. So few numbers and gained numbers and began to win the world one victory at a time.